We've been told to follow Christ's methods, haven't we? And um, that is an, that's an enigma because we say, okay, but I'm not Jesus. I can't work miracles. Um, I can't uh, read people's minds. Um, you know, I'm not trying to prove that I have the divine life within myself, although I should have the divine life within myself. Not quite in the same way Jesus did. After all, he started divine and added the human. I start human and add the divine through the Holy Spirit. But um, it, it can seem like a big question mark just follows that. Okay, follow Jesus' method. Well, well, how? And I'm quite sure I don't have all the answers. But I would just like to review with you uh, one story this morning from the Gospel of John. Uh, in which, from which we can gain some lessons about Jesus' method. This is, of course, the man healed at the pool of Bethesda. Starting with the first verse. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This will now be his second trip during his ministry to Jerusalem. You may remember in the first trip, he cast a lot of the people out of the temple had an interesting visit with Nicodemus, met a woman at the well on his way back up towards Samaria. Jesus had already uh, had rather negative encounters with the leaders in Jerusalem by this time, and they were quite determined already that he couldn't be the true Messiah, and they were out to prove that. Now he's back in Jerusalem, but apparently somewhat incognito, and he's there on the Sabbath day, says in verse 2, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Uh, this is actually not a very good transliteration. It, it says uh, it could be Bethzatha. Anyway, uh, this pool was probably considerably underground even in those days. I don't mean that it was um, literally in a cave, but it would be down uh, below street level because uh, the water was uh, gravity-fed in those days, wasn't it? And uh, to get water into Jerusalem, uh, you couldn't get it into a pool without it being considerably below street level. So the pool was down. You probably had to go down a number of steps, but surrounding it was a colonnade. And in those days, there were a great multitude of sick people there, blind people, lame paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. All right. We want to ask ourselves how Jesus worked. Well, number one, he went where sick people were. Why would you go to where sick people are? What are we interested in? Uh, we're interested in finding anybody. Does Jesus care who he puts in his kingdom? He just wants to fill it up, doesn't he? He says, go into the highways and hedges. He doesn't care. <laughs> you know, we sometimes think, oh, that person would make a great potential for the kingdom, and we look at somebody who's already a conservative Christian and living a good lifestyle and, and uh, seems to know their Bible quite well and knows how to pray, and oh, what a great Adventist they would make. In many cases, they're not even slightly interested in being Adventists. They're quite happy where they are, thank you, and they make lousy evangelistic candidates. So where do you look for evangelistic candidates? You look where people are hurting. Let's just be honest. Hurting people more often 
have an open mind and an open heart. One of the reasons why we absolutely must not allow ourselves to be stuck in a situation where speaking of our faith to those who are ill is forbidden. Of all the people who most desperately need a hopeful word of faith, it's the ill. And many times their minds are open to such words. So um, they were lying there sick. Jesus went to see them. It was on the Sabbath. We get so many lessons here about Jesus' operation. Sabbath, by the way, is a good day for evangelism. We Adventists tend to kick up our heels, uh, pick up our heels, not kick them up, <coughs> and rest. Draw, it's a day of rest, right? And, uh, and uh, we, uh, we, we, we regard that as our, as our privilege, and we, we love the Sabbath because it's a time to, to uh, just get past all the... Although if you're a physician, that may not be the case at all. But anyway, Jesus thought the Sabbath was a great day to find people. And of course, that is true. So um, they had this uh, tradition, you know, that an angel came down from at certain times and the pool would be stirred up and the water would be, you know, moving in motion. And then whoever would step in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, this was obviously a... Uh, an idea that had gained quite a bit of credibility, and the only way, only way we can imagine that it gained any credibility was that apparently people actually were healed sometimes. And whether you want to think that was primarily the placebo effect, or whether you want to say that the Lord healed them, or Satan, I don't know. We're not told, we're not given any commentary, but apparently some people were healed when they got in the water after it had been stirred. A certain man, verse 5 says, was there, who had an infirmity for 38 years. 38 years is a long time to be sick, but I know people who have been sick longer than that, as do you. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, and he took up his bed, and he walked. That day was the Sabbath, and we won't go into the Sabbath controversy portion of the story. But I want you to see Jesus' next meeting with the man. It says in verse 13, the, the one who was healed did not know who it was who had healed him, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Verse 14, afterward Jesus found him in the temple. I like the way that says that, don't you? Jesus found him and said to him, see you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So here he is. Found by Jesus. Would all of you agree that if you're found at all, it was Jesus who found you? <laughs> you didn't find him. He found you. I love that. And he pursues us. How awesome that is. So that's an overview of the story. Now let's see if we can learn some vital things from this story. First of all, starting with the last point that we just read, Jesus said, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. 
What we want to do here is, first of all, notice that Jesus really knew a lot about this man. You and I can't read minds. Apparently, Jesus could read minds. I don't know whether he was seeing the history of everybody all the time. I hardly think so. That would be just exhausting. After all, Jesus lived in a normal uh, human body, and uh, he obviously did become tired. And so we, we know that he, he had uh, to limit himself to what the brain can handle. Now, the human brain is amazing and can handle immensely more than most of us use it for. And Jesus undoubtedly used his a great deal more than we use ours. But I don't think that he had a constant readout of everybody's life as he was looking around in a casual way. That would just be exhausting. I suspect that he asked the Father to open this man's file. And then I suspect that he was instantly given the uh, details of this man's life. What did Jesus know about this man? Now, by the way, I think that's very important because I believe that point number one in Jesus' method. Well, maybe it's point one A. I mean, point one would be to actually meet the person, right? Seek out the sick, look for opportunities to meet the person, and meet the person. But one A would be know everything you can about that person. Jesus' method involves really knowing people. And you may say, yes, but I can't just ask the Father to give me a file on that person's life. Actually, you can. I'm not saying it'll work just as it did with Jesus, that your mind will suddenly have the man's history. But I will say this, because I've experienced. If you want to know the person, and I hope you do, because until you know the person, the good you can do for that person is very limited. Secondly, until you know the person, the influence you can have on that person is very limited. Jesus knew the person, and it's our privilege, I know not in the normal modern practice style, no, I know that, it is not, it's difficult to get to know the person, and I'm not in any way criticizing, only observing that to follow Jesus' method, we probably need to develop at least some kinds of health contacts with people that are not exactly the normal practice. Are you with me? Uh, again, I'm not criticizing. I understand the dynamics of the normal practice and why it is required to be in such a hurry. But to follow Jesus' method, we'll want to know as much as possible about the person. And I have found that people actually love to be known especially by someone who seems at all compassionate. And if you uh, will take the time prayerfully to say, God, open my eyes to know this person. And then you begin to deduct, to listen, and to question. I believe that in such a therapeutic environment, 
the most important information actually becomes available to you through prayer. That these people will volunteer bits of information which are very important, far more important than they know them to be. Especially in a prayer environment where you, whether you've prayed out loud with that person or just in your own heart, have said, God, reveal this person to me. Why is this so important? Well, there are all kinds of people, and everyone's illness is related to who he is, unless you're just treating a, a trauma, you know, an accident trauma or something like that. But even that may be related to who he is. He may be a race driver. <laughs> At any rate, you find that in most cases, illness is related to who we are. This man had been sick a very long time, so he had an illness of the heart, an illness of the mind, on top of his original illness. His original illness was a lifestyle illness. Now, Jesus knew exactly what the lifestyle issue was. The Lord seems to have somewhat revealed that to Ellen White as well. But what we would have from the Bible alone is just the information that this man had a lifestyle illness which caused his disease. Now he's had 37 years to ponder the result of his lifestyle choices. That is a very long time to think about and regret. He may have regretted only the consequence, or he may have come to regret the lifestyle also. According to what we see Jesus saying to this man, he may still not yet have tied the lifestyle issue together with the disease as much as he should have. He undoubtedly knew that there was a causal relationship, but Jesus is concerned for the man, even after making him well, that he will continue to make himself sick by repeating the bad lifestyle choices he's made before. Is that Jesus' method? That's Jesus' method. Because he cares for the whole person, and he cares for the person now, and he cares for the person's future. Sometimes, I think, we get stuck in just taking care of the immediate issue, the immediate symptom, the immediate, and may even fail to look at the cause, or if we do look at the cause, we may fail to talk to the individual about how to avoid the ongoing effect. So Jesus' method, were we to adopt it, would certainly, and I realize not everybody in the public would be interested in Jesus' method either, but uh, I think many more than we think would, especially that caring, listening, getting to know. And so then Jesus, Jesus obviously is interested in the man staying well and doing what he can for himself to remain well. And so here we have a fantastic principle related to healing and the gospel that the Lord wants us, even as healers of the body, to educate people about how to stay well. I don't see 
also in Jesus' demeanor here even the slightest amount of criticism or condemnation. I love that about doctors. I have had many doctor friends. I have several now, one of whom is an extremely influential cardiologist in our um, community and is uh, building a, a, a very significant department there in northeastern Washington in our local hospital. But um, these, these physicians, of course, do care about people or they wouldn't be physicians. That, that is a truth I have learned long ago. Uh, being a physician is not, and I know this very well, uh, just about having a position of respect and authority. Uh, it is about caring about people. And physicians, to me, are always interesting people for friends because they have within themselves either a natural or a developed empathy and sympathy and concern for people. And I love that. But I also realize that everything mitigates against this, getting to know people in most cases. And so there is, of course, a need for figuring out, and I'm not here to tell you how to do it because I don't know, but there is a need for figuring out how to at least have some people, by the direction of the Lord, with whom we are intimate and getting to know them and understanding them and learning their, their situation. Now, let's look at point two here of Jesus' method after getting to know someone. He absolutely does not criticize them. Even when their illness is caused by lifestyle, he does not condemn at all. He does not say to the man, Shame on you. You wouldn't be like this if you hadn't lived the way you did. In fact, I hear in his words not any judgment at all, just a deep concern. I so much don't want you to be like you were for so long again. Let me remind you how this could happen to you. Avoid this because I love you. I'm certain because of everything else I know about Jesus that that was, in fact, his approach. And it has been my privilege to have that kind of uh, witness from many different doctors that I've worked with who have spoken to the people that I have gotten to know evangelistically and said, you don't have to be sick, at least not in many cases you don't have to be. Here's how you can avoid continuing to be sick. What a blessing it is when a doctor speaks authoritatively on that point. You don't have to become sick in this way or stay sick in this way or get sick again in this way. Let me tell you, you could avoid this illness, all right? That's a great testimony, isn't it, coming from someone who actually knows that it's the truth and has the respect uh, that, uh, of speaking authoritatively in that point, to that point. So we see Jesus dealing here with a lifestyle illness. And how does he deal with a lifestyle illness? Totally non-critically. Also notice that his interest is in relieving the man of his symptoms at the earliest possible moment. I see nothing wrong with that. Jesus alleviate suffering. 
Is there ever any unethicalness in alleviating suffering? You see, the Jews had this idea that suffering was a result of God's anger with the person. Do we believe that? No. We believe suffering is consequential quite often, but it's not a direct punishment from God. It's a part of living in this world. So we are never at cross purposes with God when we relieve suffering. In fact, we are actually with God in relieving suffering. That is a, that is a very important point. And uh, so Jesus approached even to the person who had brought his own illness upon himself through apparently immoral behavior. But I have to ask you, doesn't, isn't, there a, isn't there a moral component in any behavior that brings distress to our bodies? I, I ask you to just ponder that. I'm not trying to preach that at you. I don't need to ponder that. Is there a moral component to any behavior that brings distress to our bodies? And, and, and so the, the point is, we could, even, even without meaning to, and I know this happens a lot, not necessarily through doctors, but a lot of times through lay people, we could, without meaning to, we could be condemning. We could be condemning um, because we want to, too, but, <laughs> but we, we, more often, probably, we don't think we should, but, but we could easily portray a, a condemning attitude. And I think, I think all of us, and probably especially us lay people, because I think physicians are much less likely to do that, but we need, we desperately, especially if we know lifestyle principles and how to avoid much illness, we really need to plead with the Lord when encountering anybody whose illness is lifestyle-related we need to receive from Jesus a spirit of non-condemning. Do you agree? Uh, this is absolutely, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. We all have our tremendous weaknesses. And in our culture, there is literally a conspiracy. And I'm from the northwest now, so I can, near the Idaho border, so I can talk about conspiracies. There is a conspiracy, mostly satanic, but there is a conspiracy... In our culture today, to make people kill themselves. If I was a little more paranoid, I might even think the government was behind it. <laughs> to reduce longevity so that we won't have to keep bankrupting the social security system so much. <laughs> now, I don't know that I really believe that. But I do certainly believe there's a satanic conspiracy to get people to kill themselves. And so we need to be extremely, extremely non-critical. Jesus just is not critical. In fact, he himself says, you know, in, uh, in John chapter 8, he says, you judge according to the flesh. And you just know the next thing he's going to say is, but I judge according to the spirit. And he says, no such thing. He says, you judge according to the flesh, but I don't judge anyone at all. Wow. And of course, the Greek word for judge is identical with the word that we have translated as condemn. The law condemns us, 
Our own bodies condemn us for our maltreatment of them. But Jesus does not condemn us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for that. So um, we see Jesus' uh, beautiful attitude. Now notice that he asks the man, do you want to be made well? You'd think, well, that's pretty obvious. Why is he lying here? Um, I think it's very important for us to seek divine discernment when working with people as to whether they actually want to be well. And if they don't want to be well, we may need to pray for them that they will want to be well. I know now from meeting, you know, thousands and thousands of people that many people actually like being sick. Tragically, in our culture, for many people, the only time they get any attention at all is when they are sick. So in spite of the fact that we're here to talk about how to deal with the ill in Jesus' method, I think we ought to start dealing with the well in Jesus' method and make sure that we give people our attention. Amen? You know what? That's what Jesus' bottom line is, giving people attention. He's monitoring all of us all the time, so much so that he knows how many hairs are on our head, probably the rest of our body too. He knows what we're thinking and feeling at any moment, not just the people who pray, but everybody. He is so attentive, and I believe that one of the ways in which we could exercise more of our brain power would be in being attentive to more people. Most of us would like more people to pay more attention to us. Why don't we begin that by paying more attention to them? I believe that one of the greatest mind-building, brain-building, strengthening activities we can ever engage in is listening to people. It's so easy for us to say, they have nothing to tell me. They have a boring life. They have a boring uh, mind, an uncurious mind. I can't learn anything from them. Well, you absolutely can learn something from everybody, but the more important issue is they learn just by telling. When we are listening to others, they are gaining understanding. I, I have come to the point where I believe people gain more understanding by telling you than they do by you telling them. It's the oddest thing. But God is somehow there in that articulation of the life experience. I, I don't understand it. It must be some reason, part of the reason why psychology can work in especially talk therapy to some degree, but even more so with the Holy Spirit involved. Listening, listening, listening is so, so, so valuable. And Jesus said to the man, do you want to be well? And apparently the answer that he got was very affirmative. The man really wanted to be well. I do worry about people who want to stay sick. It's hard to know how to make progress with them, isn't it? I, don't suppose, I suppose there were many of those whom Jesus did not heal, or if he did heal them, they didn't stay well very long. Uh, because it was obvious from what Jesus said even to this man that his healing was not necessarily permanent. Do you understand that? It, was, uh, it would be a permanent healing as long as the person would treasure it and somehow nurture it, but it might not be a permanent healing otherwise. And I know that's one of the frustrating things about any kind of health ministry. It can be so temporary. The, be the good you do. Let me say this. 
doing good even temporarily is God's work. Giving the person a little bit more quality life for a little while longer is God's work. Amen? Because it's a little more time for them to hear the voice of God and to hear the voice of the Spirit and to understand themselves and the Lord and make decisions that are vital to their salvation. So Jesus never felt that he was wasting his time when he healed everybody in town. But the question is, do they want to be well? And then the man, of course, he answered, I don't have anybody. I'm, I'm, his answer is so telling. I don't have any man. Let's just stop right there. It goes on, you know, to take me to the water when it gets ruffled. But the point is, I'm here alone. And I'm convinced that aloneness is one of the biggest components in ongoing illness and human suffering. Very few people actually are totally alone. This man wasn't alone at all. He was in a crowd. The Bible says there was a great big crowd there. But you probably all know that you can feel more alone in a crowd than when you're by yourself sometimes. And this man was in this crowd day after day after day, and yet he was all alone because there wasn't anybody at all paying any attention to him. Sometimes the most healing thing we can do for somebody is just pay attention. Jesus' method. Jesus' method. I don't have any man. Now he has a man. Not only does he have a man, but he has the man. He has the first man to walk on this planet since Adam sinned. He has the man made in the image of God, living the will of God in his life. He doesn't know who he has standing next to him. But this is the first person in 37 years who has paid any attention to him. Surely 37 years would have been long enough for him to get first to the water. If somebody had been there, you know what they were doing. They were just pawning him off to this place where people stay who are in the way at home. Somebody brought him some food once in a while. Somebody took him home at night to, to sleep and probably, uh, you know, minimal bathing care or whatever. And then in the morning, they carted him right back off there so they didn't have to have him around all day long. And he knew nobody wanted him. I ask you, can anybody even get well in those circumstances? I doubt it. I think everything in their immune system would be working against the healing process. He found out that somebody was there for him. He found out ultimately that that somebody was Jesus Christ. He found out, I am sure, that that person was there for him all the time, even when he wasn't there in person. And what a fantastic thing to share with the sick. And then, of course, Jesus uh, healed him by command. It may seem like we have nothing to learn from that. You know, it may seem that we have nothing to learn from that because you and I, uh, most of us, if we're, if we're Seventh-day Adventists or influenced by Seventh-day Adventists, are not, uh, are not uh, so charismatically inclined. And, uh, and, and, and most of us are far too shy or cautious to actually command someone to be well because we don't want to look like fools if they're not. And Jesus did not exactly command him to be well. <laughs> anyway, he just said, behave well. The man hadn't been able to walk for all these years, you know. And he says, now I want you to uh, just do it. Man, 
He was, of course, engendering faith in this man. And I don't know how you feel, but I firmly believe that God can heal anybody who believes that he can. Of anything. And I've seen the most remarkable things based ex entirely and exclusively on faith. And if we can engender faith in this person, that was Jesus' next uh, operational uh, method here. We, we, we have to read between the lines because we don't know how, how could he have faith. He didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't even know. There may have been rumors going around about this healer who was, uh, had been in Jerusalem and now was back again or might come back. I don't know if he could have had any idea, but he did not know who Jesus was. And uh, he was not able to identify him to the Pharisees who inquired of him later. He... he he certainly could not have known because none of the Jews, especially around Jerusalem, were yet willing to see Jesus as a person who had divine power. They didn't know if he was some kind of magic magician or, or they were very superstitious in those days, you know. Uh, they didn't know, not know by what power he healed. So in other words, how did he engender faith in this man? I'm not quite sure, but he obviously did. Maybe it was just the tremendous authority that was in Jesus' voice. Maybe it was just the care, just the deep interest in that one question that was preserved for us here. There may have been more conversation. I wouldn't be surprised if there was. But even in that one question, would you like to be well? There must have been an immense amount of divine interest somehow in that communication, even if it was extremely brief for that man, he, in, he inspired in that man a, a, a thought that here is an authority. Here is a man who is in connection with God somehow. Here is a man who really is interested in me and, and can do something about it. Wow. I think, obviously, that, that kind of, of faith inspiration in another person has to be through God. I mean, physicians have a great deal of authority, and many times, just because they are physicians, people will listen to what they say and somewhat follow their recommendations. I realize that's kind of <laughs> infrequent. If you say anything more complicated than take this pill so many times a day. But nevertheless, sometimes they will. But I, I believe that... Jesus, somehow, through his communication with people, was able to inspire them with confidence that he had something that could change their lives. And I believe we need to pray for that, don't you? We need to pray for that, that we can have that kind of inspiration in people's lives. I know I have prayed that even as a pastor, and I have seen a change take place in, in the conversation. I have seen people start listening more carefully, start thinking more deeply, just by saying, Lord, give my words the weight of Jesus' own words and give them the impact and the impression. Because what we want to do is inspire this person to believe that he can be well. And I believe, I believe, anybody can be well, no matter what their illness is or what the cause of it is. Many times there are illnesses which are utterly beyond any kind of human therapy. We know that. And the best you can do is relieve suffering. But, but that is not the best God can do. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that following God, Jesus' methods does mean we will inspire people to believe that they can be well through Christ. 
it's, it's, it's got to be a terrible thing to tell someone, you cannot be well. You must die. I don't hear Jesus ever saying that. I don't know, just, just, a, just food for thought. We need to consider how to follow Jesus' method. Finally, he says, get up and take your bed and walk. The man hadn't been able to do that for so long, and somehow he had faith, and he got up, and he walked. We must never underestimate the power of faith over the human, over the physical, over the purely material part of ourselves. The, the stories that have been told even about the so-called placebo effect are just astonishing, aren't they? The stories that have been told about the body's ability to heal itself when there's enough determination and ability and confidence and, and certainty and so forth. It's just, it is amazing. We, we must, we must ask people to do what they can, and that is what Jesus did. Do what you can and believe that you can, and the man stood up. Now, Jesus was talking to him, so whether he knew who Jesus was or not, it was Jesus he was having faith in, and so let's cap this off with that. If we can possibly... Tell people about Jesus and lead them to put faith in Jesus' word. We are opening up to them another whole massive aspect of possibilities that are not open any other way. And we can give them hope. And even if we're not able to lay their hand in the healer's hand to the point where they actually get out of bed and become altogether well, we're giving them hope in Jesus. And that is why I want to transition at this point to the healing of the soul aspect in this story, I am absolutely convinced that every healing miracle Jesus did was to illustrate the plan of salvation. That every healing miracle Jesus did was to show us two things. A, how we should relate to sick people in a physical sense. B, how we should see Jesus relating to our own souls. So let us now apply these lessons that we've learned here to the healing of the soul. First of all, Jesus comes after us. <laughs> Amen. If you ever said, God, where are you? I'm all by myself. Nobody cares. Realize that you are under a delusion of blackness. You are now depressed and your brain chemicals are lying to you. Jesus is after you. Tell everybody that. When somebody's thinking nobody cares, tell them that. Tell them, sir, you are wrong. I know for a fact Jesus is after you. He's interested in you. He wants you. He, he's concerned about the many years of suffering you've experienced. He wants to help you, and he wants to help you right now. That is the truth. And then, of course, understand that Jesus does not condemn us. He does not condemn us for our worst sins, even, which are the sins of neglecting him and of disbelieving in him. He does not condemn us for wanting to be bad because anybody who is bad got bad because he wanted to be bad. He does not condemn us for still wanting to be bad even while we want to stop having the consequences of being bad. <laughs> he doesn't condemn us even for that because he knows we cannot heal ourselves. That is what we learn about the gospel through the healing miracles. You cannot make yourself well morally any more than you can physically. You cannot do a thing for your soul except 
Seek Jesus. Meet Jesus. Open up to Jesus when he finds you. Let him find you. Jesus says, if any man hears my voice. That implies that every man could hear his voice, right? Doesn't it? So he says, if any man hears my voice, just let him open the door. You see, there's no pilgrimage you have to go on. There's no promise you have to make. There's no lifestyle change you have to make. There's no change in your moral or ethical behavior you have to make. There's one thing. Open the door. Because all the changes in our soul are made by the presence of Jesus Christ, not by anything we do. And so, bless his heart, this man who was in a terrible predicament because of his lifestyle choices and who had lived a life of waste and loss, of uselessness, uh, he had wasted all his potential till now he was in Probably he was now in his late 50s. His life has basically been a waste because of his lifestyle choices early in life. And yet, in order to receive Jesus' help, he does not have to change or promise to change. He just has to say yes. And then Jesus himself begins to change him. Jesus values this man just as much as he values the man who has used all of his energy and all of his resources and really made something of himself. Jesus finds in this man also a treasure, a person who has been crafted by his own peculiar life experience to be used in the divine plan in the universe in a particular way for which no other human being has been crafted. And he treasures that person. Jesus heals the soul as he did this man's body by command. Implicit in every command Jesus makes is the power to perform the command. I'm not saying we're saved by obedience. We're saved by Jesus Christ. Even if now I take his command seriously and realize there's power in his word to give me obedience, that in no way covers all my sins of the past. <laughs> I need Jesus, right? Besides that, where's the faith come from? that I now believe that Jesus' command has implicit power, and it comes straight from Jesus, doesn't it? I don't develop my own faith. Somehow, he puts that faith in me through the authority of his voice when I finally hear him, and I open the door. And so, Jesus says now, get up, do the work immediately before you, and walk. Now we know that we're not alone, that this really magnificent person is there with us. 
We know that we didn't do it. We didn't do it. We know we didn't. We never could. We never have. We know we don't have the power. We know the power working within us is miracle power. And yet suddenly, because of the presence of Jesus alone, we know that we can walk. We know it. We always knew before that we couldn't. And now we know just as surely that we can because of him. And so we walk. And we continue to meet Jesus because we rush to the temple. We rush to where the other worshipers are. We join the body. We praise God that we can walk. We live in faith because we live in a testimony of praise. I can walk. I never could walk before. I can walk. And there we meet Jesus again and again and again. And our faith is strengthened. And we begin to tell others, as this man did, that's him. It was him. He's the one who told me to walk. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the glorious stories of Jesus Christ. They are, of all things, the source, these stories, the source of our understanding of ourselves, of life, of the world, of you, and the source of our hope as we see how Jesus is and thus how you are, dear Father, and exactly how you are working in our lives. We praise you for the privilege of being your ambassadors in listening and loving and even being channels of healing in the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.